0: You're listening to the 2X podcast. Welcome to our final episode of our second season of the Crew X by 2X podcast. We're here today with Michaela, as well as our co host Shannon. And my name is Kevin. Michaela is a former student at the University of British Columbia, specializing in psych and commerce. And right now she's in Ontario working on her HRM certificate. Michaela, do you want to introduce yourself?
1: Sure. Um, my name is Michaela Bastieno. I am a 2021 graduate of the University of British Columbia, and I now am doing my graduate certificate program at Niagara College in Ontario. Uh, I did five years at UBC, and I worked with a lot of different groups on campus. And at one point, I was working very closely with Kevin, so it's nice to be reunited here today. And I'm so stoked that I'm featured on the last episode of the semester. I didn't know that. So very exciting.
0: (laughs) Amazing. yeah, and it's uh, it's been it's been a while, I guess, since uh, since I've seen you or, like around campus. Um, so it's a good it'll be a good it'll be a good opportunity to catch up and for I guess you and Shannon to get to meet each other. What are you doing out in Ontario?
1: Yeah, so um, <laughs> other than staying inside because of coronavirus, uh, I am currently on winter break uh, for my. Um, graduate program. So I've started attending Niagara college this year and I'm working towards my graduate certificate in human resources management. Uh, it's a one-year program. So I'm officially halfway through, uh, in January, I'll be starting an internship, uh, at a accounting and HR services advisory uh, company called Derwood Jones Barkwell. Uh, so I'm very excited to start there, but, um, Right now, I'm on break, so I'm enjoying time with my dog, my family. Um, We're going to try to do the holidays the best we can this year, uh, safely, of course, but uh, definitely missing UBC. Um, Graduating this year online was difficult, so um, having a new academic experience has been um, exciting. It's brought some more excitement back into my life, so that's
0: been nice. Yeah. You're one of the ones with the online grads, eh?
1: Yeah, so I did, uh, I did half of my, or I guess the last three months of my fourth year was online. And then my whole fifth year at UBC was online, online grad. And then um, my first semester at Niagara has also been online. So I've done close to two full years of school online. Um, And unfortunately, I don't think we'll be going back to in person. So it might be my second online grad next semester, but I'm hoping something changes for me. So,
0: yeah, that's, uh, that's really something you guys, you guys kind of got shafted, I guess, because when the, the, the grad cohort that initially was there for when COVID first hit, they got promised in-person sessions, um, uh, in-person grad sessions, but then everybody in between kind of was like, Oh, you only get online. And then now I think they're switching back to in-person. So you were kind of like in that unlucky, uh, cohort.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it was tough too, because I remember with the 2020 grads, you know, they were like, Oh, you 2021 grads, you're going to get one in person. Like you're so lucky. And then one full year later, it was like, Oh, never mind, You're not getting one. (laughs) So yeah, it definitely, uh, part of the unlucky cohort, but I mean, it was still great. Like my family tried their best and we watched it all together and they got me like a little hat. We made the best of it, but like, that's all you can do right is enjoy what you have so
0: (laughs) definitely yeah and that was uh that was Jen our operations manager just sneaking behind me there he can wave hi to the camera real quick hi Jen awesome um cool so you're, you've, you've obviously have kind of a, a breadth of experience behind you, you know, like both academically and professionally working with these different groups. Um, and we kind of want to get a sense for, you know, some of your your background and your childhood experiences, what got you to um, the point you're at now? Um, and what uh, prompted you to study uh, your, your specializations, psych and commerce?
1: Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like growing up, um, I was always a part of, um, some sort of extracurricular activity, mostly, um, sports. So, uh, you know, I started skiing at the age of two. I started playing soccer when I was four or five. Um, and I basically, that was my out of school involvement up right until university. So when it came time to go into university, um, I really wanted to make sure that I wasn't just doing school. Um, I feel like a lot of students drop off, um, you know, in extracurriculars when they enter university because, you know, the classes are so demanding and everything is exponentially more difficult. So I wanted to make sure that I was having like still a really positive experience, but also doing something new. So I remember when I was applying to university, um, I thought that I was going to end up specializing in math because (laughs) throughout my entire uh, high school career, all of my math grades were very very high um and that's what I was good at that's what I loved and then I remember taking like first year calculus and I hated it <laughs> it was absolutely not for me so I knew that everything prior to university like wasn't necessarily going to remain that way going forward so uh in my first year I just really made sure to take a bunch of different classes that I was familiar with but also not familiar with so I know in my first year, I took psychology, economics, uh, I took computer science, like things that I had never taken before. But then I also took things that I was familiar with and still had interest in. So I took math courses, I took French courses, um, some of the math I excelled in, some of it I definitely didn't. Um, and it was also a weird experience for me being in classes with you know, people that went to very like prestigious international high schools that I had never heard of. Like I came out of public school in Ontario. So, um, you know, having classmates that know how to do like theories and formulas that you've never heard of, <laughs> and you know, you're sitting beside them taking the same exam. It was a little bit nerve wracking. Um, but despite all that, I found that with my psychology classes, um, it was something new and it was something that I really wanted to learn more about. Um, I had never taken anything like that in my entire life. So I thought I'd continue pursuing it. And you know, if by the end of second year it wasn't clicking with me anymore, then I could always switch. And luckily my parents were supportive of that, if that was the case, but it ended up sticking with me. And I at the time I decided to take the commerce minor as something to potentially fall back on in case um, you know, the psych thing didn't work out. But I ended up finding a nice merge between the two by the end of my degree. And now I'm doing human resources, which is like the perfect, you know, married couple of the two, I guess. So uh, that's how that worked out. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And we definitely want to uh, talk with you more later on about your thoughts on HR and the whole purpose behind it. Just to happen. So Shannon and I are, are both uh, cognitive systems majors uh, with uh I I don't know what, I forgot what your specialization was, Shannon. I'm specializing in psych, but I think you're...
2: And I'm specializing in computer science.
0: Yeah, so it's interesting, kind of, we have, we're all kind of looking at these interdisciplinary, married couples of, like, these subjects that kind of seem to go together. So COGS, um, I'm sure you're familiar with COGS, but for for listeners who aren't familiar with what that is, uh, it's like... It tries to marry psychology, computer science, linguistics and philosophy all into one a lot of the the majors um, in in the program um, they tend to go on to all sorts of these different things because the field is so wide it seems like something that's picking up in popularity or people trying to trying to get like these mbas after they graduate um, with all of these very spread to separate experiences um, behind them. And it seems like it's almost reflective of a shift between, you know, in the past employers valued greater specialization, um, in a certain field. Um, but nowadays it seems like, especially if you're in like going into the financial services sector, or if you're going into other more business oriented things, they value you more if you have these many different skills. Um, if you're like the jack of all trades, but the master of none, um, as opposed to just having one specific field that you're interested in. Do you, what are your, uh, what are your kind of thoughts on that for, for both of you guys?
1: Um, I would say I agree. Um, I recently, so for my internship with, uh, with Derwood Jones, I know that when they were looking at my resume and they were talking to me in my interview about my educational experience, um, they saw that I took, you know, psychology and commerce. And the first thing they asked me was like, how did you get into that mix? And even outside of the professional setting, I get that question all the time. Like people are like, oh, like that's, that's interesting. Like, how did that happen? Or, you know, what made you link those two? Um, But then as soon as you kind of explain the link, it's almost as if, um, you know, they view it in a way that they never would have viewed it before. And then they have that much more respect, I find. So even I know in my courses right now, which is like strictly HR, like anytime I say anything um, that has to do with like psychology or why someone does it a certain way, um, you know, the like, Oh, that's so insightful. And like, you know, your classmates want to know more and it's, it's almost like a, um, I don't want to call it like a superpower, but knowledge is power. And, you know, I feel like the more well-rounded anyone is, um, the better we can understand people and why, you know, things go the way they do and why people work the way they do and why we have certain things. And I, I, I totally agree. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I agree as well. I, I feel like it also gives you a lot more flexibility when you have this degree that combines a bunch of different areas and subjects. And then when you graduate, you can choose to go into any one of them. So that's, that's really helpful too. And I feel like more and more people are doing that now with their degrees
0: yeah especially as the bachelor's degree starts we were starting to see the devaluation of degrees with everybody going uh university and getting all of these big qualifications um it's a i'm not going to talk about this too often because we have to stay on subject but or too too long because we have to stay on subject uh, but part of my job here is also to look at hiring um, for for our tutor our, our tutor base for a tutoring company we have to hire tutors um, and a surprising number of them just have PhDs to throw around like there's so many of our applicants that just just casually they're like oh yeah I have a PhD from X University specializing in whatever and I'm like that's crazy it that really humbles you especially as somebody you know trying to hunt in the job market um, but anyway yeah moving moving on to um, I guess the next topic of discussion here. We also want to touch on your experiences working with these these different student groups um, during your time at the University of British Columbia. A lot of our listeners are students, um, and they probably want to get a sense of trying to you know orienting themselves um, around university life, things that they should get involved in, things that they probably shouldn't get involved in, what they shouldn't should and shouldn't do, um, best allocation of their time. And we'll start off by talking about the UBC Residence Hall Association because um, that's uh, that's where that's where you and I uh, worked together. Um, you were uh, you were a great above me. You were the uh, whole vice president of the whole organization, and I was a, I was a VP of like a, a um, in uh, a local council. Um, so that was that was fun. Um, do you want to kind of talk about your your time there? And maybe for our listeners who don't know what the UBC RHA is, if you want to just give some background around that too
1: yeah um so the UBC residence hall Association um, is basically it's an elected uh, student body of people who live in residence and they advocate for anyone that lives in a, um, a residence at UBC so anyone that holds a UBC residence contract um, is basically um, it's ad- they're advocated for by the UBC RHA. Um, so, their job is basically to uh, have meetings and negotiations with uh, student housing and community services and make things better for residents at UBC. Um, Kevin made me sound like a very mighty person in RHA, but I definitely did not start off that way. Um, I got involved in RHA when I was in my first year and uh, first year residence. Um, I was a floor representative. So, I went to basically like our house meetings and I represented the first floor and I just did like very little um you know like little activities every week I would help host like movie nights and like we did I think Thanksgiving dinner and like Secret Santa and you know just like fun like house socials building communities but then um, our house president, um, my house president's name was Bob, but we were a co-council. So we also had a president named Roshni. And Roshni and Bob would come to us and ask for our opinion on like the dining hall, for example. So I remember a big thing in my first year um, was the area council trying to advocate for um like dietary restriction notices on like the, um, the cafeteria's menus. Uh, because students who were halal or vegan or vegetarian, they didn't know what was safe to eat because, you know, like if it just said quinoa power bowl, for example, like, like what exactly is in that, that sounds vegetarian, but what if, you know, the power of the protein is chicken, then that's not safe. So, you know, are um, advocating for ingredients and symbols and stuff. But then at the end of my first year, I ended up running and I became the Okanagan House President in Place Vanier uh, in my second year. So, my second year, I ran that House Council with um, my co president of Robson House. His name is Boran. And Boran and I would have our House meetings, but then we would also attend the Place Vanier residence uh, hall meetings. So, we would have a weekly meetings with all of the House presidents and we would create events for all of Place Vanier. Um, And essentially, how RHA works is the higher you sit in the hierarchy, the more um, advocating ability you have. So there are things that the RHA president or the RHA vice president um, are able to negotiate with housing that a floor representative is not, because a floor representative is um, obviously not exposed to community services as much as RHA executives are. So basically I came to realize this, uh, about halfway through my term as house president. And at the end of the year, I decided to run for, uh, the vice president outreach and leadership of the RHA. And I was definitely the underdog for this role. Um, typically, you know, people who become RHA, uh, executives, have held a term as area president or area vice president. But I was, I don't want to say I was just a house president, but in comparison, I was just a house president and I was running against people who served as area executives. So uh, when I was granted that position, when the executives voted for me, I was astonished, but most of all, I was thrilled um, because I knew that that was the position that was going to allow me to create the most change uh, for the betterment of people and residents. And that is when I met Kevin because Kevin was an area vice president and I had to supervise all of the area vice presidents. And I loved it. Honestly, I think it was like my favorite time in student involvement in that third year. Especially, I loved working with Kevin. It was great. Um, but when I was the vice president of RHA, I was in charge of uh, overseeing all of the area vice presidents. I was in charge of professional development. So Planning trainings for a hundred plus people. Um, I remember I was in charge of um you know running the res residence uh whistler shuttle uh because that is like high demand every single year, or at least it used to be. I don't know what it is now, but um I had basically very large um like executive duties. Uh so you know, obviously I reduced course load and everything to balance that out, but Um, basically outreach and leadership, anything that fell under those two categories, uh, I was in charge of heading that and making sure that it got done. So, yeah, that's like a, (laughs) that was a very big explanation, but that's it in a nutshell. So
0: (laughs) right on. Um, It seems like a lot of those uh, duties that you listed. So things like uh, mentorship, you know, and, and, and handling, large groups of people and their professional developments, very HR-ish related. Um, And I'm wondering if if that, those experiences, you know, kind of influenced you um, as as an individual today who's who's looking to get into the field.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. So um, my first experience with um, like policy and procedure creation, for example, came from my time at RHA. So right now, something I'm very passionate about is um, getting into the field of policy creation for companies. And my first time learning any of that or doing any of that was from uh, RHA. I obviously did more, um, and I'll talk about it later, but I did more at UBC after RHA too, which really, uh, you know, launched me into that area of interest. But RHA really exposed me to fields that I wasn't necessarily familiar with and shaped me, um, and my aspirations coming out of school. Um, I know that with, um, my executive position specifically, I did a lot of, um, like conflict management, recruiting, developing, um, you know, HR specific duties, um, in that position. So that position really opened me up to the world or, or the practice I should say of HR and it just kind of grew from there, um, from my own self-interest. So,
0: yeah. Did we all live in residence in first year? Um, Shannon, Michaela? Yeah.
2: Yeah. I was in Vanier too. So.
0: Vanier. Um, did, uh, yeah, it seems like a lot of... because um, Okay, so I lived in Orchard, right? Um, and a lot of uh, students that I talked to, one of the most distinct memories that they had was kind of that initial kind of orientation day where they meet their RA, they meet like the common room or whatever, um, and then the RA kind of goes over like, okay, this is the residence council, and we'll be doing the elections now um, for for Florida because it was the RA's that helped facilitate that. Was that was that the same for you guys? Like, do you remember a meeting like that?
1: So for me, I had a very different experience. So um, I remember the the first day of orientation, my RA was amazing. Um, and she did such a great job at like bringing us together. I remember the second night or the third night we lived together. She like made us all go out for dinner together. Like she was very much, um, you know, an advocate for creating community and she did a great job, but I didn't hear about the RHA or, um, house council until I want to say the second or third week of school because they were looking for people to run and I remember nobody wanted to run because we had no idea what it was and they made it sound like it was going to be like a full-time job and it was kind of scary so I almost didn't end up in RHA but my RA talked me into signing myself up because she's like you're so extroverted and social and you love everyone like she's like I think you'll do a great job." Um so if it wasn't for my RA Ling in first year I would have never uh gotten into the RHA but I found that in my first year the two were very um separate and uh Kevin if I'm not mistaken so when you were in first year I would have been in second year mm-hmm. that year I remember there was a really big push from the RHA executives that year to um bring residence life and the RHA more together as like a team uh there was like a big push so I remember when I was the house president I did present myself on the first day of orientation whereas when I was in first year I don't recall that happening so I think there was a shift between my first year and your first year which is great mm-hmm. but um yeah my first day was very uh, different from yours
0: <laughs> yeah Shannon how about yourself did what uh, do you remember, like any presentations about, uh, like floor wrap or, or
2: anything like that? I remember one presentation near the start of the first term, um, but I don't really remember many details about it, which is probably why I never ended up joining. Um, but I just remember we all gathered in the first floor lounge and we met the president and the council members introduced themselves and then. And then I think we just went back upstairs and I never ended up joining. I wish I did though. It sounds sounds like a great experience, but mm-hmm. that was my my exposure to it.
0: Right on. Overall, would you guys recommend that students uh, entering university live in residence, at least for the first year? Do you think that was a good experience for you guys? Uh, yeah. I'd
1: say for sure, yeah. hundred <laughs> percent.
0: I have, uh, so this is an anecdote. I'm not gonna talk about it for too long because we don't have time, but um, I have a friend that goes to SFU. SFU is a big commuter school. Nobody lives in residence there unless they're, they're like international students. And like, we were like good friends in high school. We, were, we still are good friends now, um, but he, like my experience compared to his is just like night and day. It was like, I was, I was having the time of my life at UBC, you know, meeting all these new people, having all these new experiences, super enriching, very grateful for them. Um And then he just, every, like we, we call maybe like once a week and he'd be like, you know, it sucks out here. There's nothing to do. Um, just if he really feels like if he had exposed himself to like, you know, residence life, at least for the first year, he would have made more friendships and, you know, have had more of these enriching experiences. And I think RHA was a, a big part of that, you know, hosting these events and initiatives, getting people to meet each other. Um, so I guess we'll move on now to the, the next topic we have on the list for you today. Um, if you want to talk about your time at the sexual violence uh, UBC sexual violence prevention and prevention response office. I hope I'm saying yeah. that right. Yeah. It's <laughs> quite long. Um, we'd love to hear about some of your experiences there. And for, uh, I guess some of our listeners, um, this next section will deal with sensitive topics like sexual assault and, and response and prevention. So if uh, we, we recommend uh, that you please exercise a uh, discretion before listening on here. Um, we want to kind of know if you're able to give kind of a background or to our listeners, what the SVPRO is, what it does and what your role there was, and some of the things that you're, some of the more memorable things that you're, you might be proud of or, or want to talk about.
1: Yeah. Um, so for people who are uh, familiar with uh, UBC and um, the different offices, I know um so the AMS has a support service called the Sexual Assault Support Center, and that is abbreviated the SASC. So the AMS has the SASC, and then the university's version of SASC is SVPro, the Sexual Violence Prevention and Response Office. So SVPro is essentially a um, it's a support office uh, for anyone at UBC uh, students, faculty, staff. That have experienced um, sexual violence or harm, um, and it is also a very large um, educational office. So the SV Pro, when they aren't um, supporting people, they so they have a they have a distinct support staff that focus on supporting people, and then they also have a large set of staff that are focused on educating the community. So, um, basically, what my role is so. From my understanding now, SV Pro, since I've left, have actually established a um, like a volunteer outreach uh, program. So they actually bring in students as um, outreach volunteers to help educate students and get students involved. But when I was at UVC, uh, that was still in um, the planning works. Like it, it wasn't a set thing. And I was introduced to Ariana, who is one of the head educators at SVPRO, through my time at RHA. So she actually um, used to come and do the um, sexual assault disclosure trainings at RHA training. And that's how I originally met her. And that year, our uh, Marine Drive area president was our SVPRO liaison. So she would go to SVPRO and get information and bring it back to us. And she continued to help out SV Pro after her time in RHA. And there was a um, a marketing campaign that they were having, I guess, some trouble with, or they weren't too sure. And um, you know, our area president said, "I know someone from RHA. I think you should meet them." And sure enough, she brought me into a meeting, and um, I sat down and met Ariana for the first time formally. And, um, we started chatting and she was like, Michaela, I need you here more often. We got to figure out like some sort of role for you. Um, so I guess I never really had like a title, but I was kind of a, um, I was like a volunteer student consultant. So if one of the educators, um, needed like student opinion on something or had questions about student groups, uh, they would come to me and ask. So I know, um, they asked me like, Oh, like, do you know who does, um, you know, like sexual violence training for like the nightlife groups, or do you know how like varsity, um, receives their training and, um, different questions like that. But then I'd also get questions like, what do you think if we put this poster in this place, do you think that there's like a better spot or like, what kind of campaign do you think we should do? So I, I was kind of like a, consultant. I wasn't paid and I wasn't compensated, but I did have a lot of fun and like the work was very meaningful. Um, I know anything surrounding, um, sexual violence and prevention, like that's, you know, very, very close to my heart. I'm very passionate about that. Um, so the fact that I was able to help, um, so closely was like such a fulfilling experience for me in my last three years. Um, I was, happy to be able to continue that even online after coronavirus. So I was very lucky, but I think now, um, if anyone at UBC is looking to get involved, they actually have like a volunteer program. So I recommend looking into that because I'm not fully educated on it having graduated already, but, um, I know some people who were in RHA that are current volunteers and they, they love it and you know, they're having a blast as well. So, yeah.
0: Right on. Yeah. I, um, I remember getting those, uh, disclosure trainings, um, actually multiple times. I I think some of them were facilitated by the SASC and some of them were facilitated by uh, SVPRO. Um, Mm. and they, it's, it's quite widespread around campus now, like those, those, those trainings, which I think is is really good. So like most major student organizations, at least during the orientation phase, um, will have it. I know, I know, I know the frats and the sororities have it. Maybe Shannon can speak more to that. Um, sh- Shannon, I think you're, you're, which, which chapter are you in again? You're.
2: Um, I'm in Delta Gamma chapter.
0: Delta Gamma. Did you guys receive disclosure training at the beginning of the year? Uh, or do you, do you, do you guys have that?
2: I think we do, but I'm pretty sure it was just an online module. It's not super in depth, but.
0: Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know I had it for what I had it for it was RHA. I had it for RHA, like you were talking about. I had it for AMS. All the AMS uh people went through it. Um and I thought it was you know interesting. Like there, there was a whole um it was beneficial to know about there's a whole protocol behind, you know, okay, when somebody discloses to you, a disclosure does not necessarily mean that it's a report, right? If there was a there's that differentiation there. I, I wasn't aware of that before. I think a lot of people weren't aware of that before they heard that, uh, which was really good to know. Um, and and the resources um, that were listed for that. I, I, I personally know um, people that have undergone some forms of sexual violence or assault um, and it was helpful knowing that information when they when they came to me about that because I, otherwise I, I wouldn't have known what to have done, right? I probably would have just been like, oh, report, report to the police. Well, which which is a valid option, but it's not necessarily the best option in in all cases, right? You have to be really cognizant of, of what the survivor wants. Um, so, I think I think I think that's you know great work that you know the SVPRO and other offices like that are doing. Um, when- and,
1: and if I can jump in, Kevin, a, a great thing too. Now um, that was established towards the end of my time at UBC is it's super important to note that if you go to SVPRO. Uh, you're not automatically making a report, but if you do want to make a report or if you do want to go down the legal process of um, reporting someone and pressing charges or whatever your case may be, SV Pro is now um, equipped with the resources to do so. So you, the university used to have um, an independent investigations office. It is now just the investigations office, and they actually have a full protocol with SV Pro for anyone who does want to do more than just receive support. Um, So it's super important to know that yes, you can go to SV Pro for solely support. If you don't want to report, that's totally your choice. If you do decide that that's what you want to do, they can also assist you with that. Um, Because I know that it can be so, um, you know, overwhelming to go and find your own like legal counsel, and it's expensive, and it's difficult to understand at times. So um, SVPro has expanded in um, in that way as well. They can help you with those kinds of uh, with those kinds of steps. So super important to know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I remember when SVPro was first introduced. So I guess it'd be my last question about the topic before we have to move on. Um, I remember when SVPro was first introduced. There was kind of this apprehension that you know there is this it will be managed by the university, which itself. There, there was like students were like, oh, the UBC would just be concerned about its own liability, um, so they're they're like, we should not defund the SASK. The SASK needs to stay because it's student run. Um, how is the relate? How's the working relationship nowadays? Or to your knowledge, what, what is it like between the SB Pro and the SASK? How do they kind of divide up their duties, or do they just kind of each do their own thing? What is their collaboration?
1: Yeah, um, <laughs> so it's it's funny because you like that narrative definitely occurred a lot. Like people thought that the SV pro and the SAS were like enemies, but that's totally not the case. Um, I remember when the AMS tried to, um, defund um, the SAS and it did cause like a huge uproar because the Sask is so important. Um, and like, we should never get rid of the Sask. but it's, it's funny because SV pro and Sask are, they work so closely together. Um, I know that SASC runs an amazing program called Healthier Masculinities. Um, and it's usually a like a, a round table or like a circle uh, of people that come together to talk about like healthy masculinity and toxic masculinity. And it's it was originally geared towards um, towards men. But I think anyone can go. They welcome anybody at these events. And when it comes to those events, at least when I was there, SV Pro played a huge part in, um, you know, discussing topics and like providing information to SASC and vice versa. When SV Pro runs training programs, SV Pro pulls information from SASC as well. So they have like a really great partnership. And I know in my fourth year, um, another great resource on campus was the Wellness Center. The Wellness Center um, almost makes them like a trio. Uh, because the wellness center brings in all of the really important pieces surrounding mental health and mental wellness and, um, general health and wellness, you know, like the, the, um, what was that movement called get moving or like you move, um, you know, so the three of them are like the great trio of overall wellness and support for our campus. Um, so they, they work really well together. There's absolutely like they, it's all love.
0: (laughs) So, yeah. Awesome. That's great. Uh, great to hear. During your time as a student, uh, Michaela, you spent, I remember you spent time as, as Cole Evans' campaign manager. And, and so for, for our listeners who don't know, Cole Evans, he's the current <laughs> president of the UBC alma Matter Society. So he's like the lead of all the students at UBC, supposedly. Um, what, to, what got you into that role? And, and, you know, how was the experience for you? And you, if you want to talk about that.
1: So, (laughs) so, okay. So I, I was on Cole Evans' campaign team, but, um, I definitely was not the manager. I think, I think if there was a manager, it was Cole himself or, uh, Will Schelling who also served in the AMS, but I was more of like, man, I don't even know. Like I was on Cole's campaign team and I was a, a big part of Cole's campaign team, but I was I was like the chaotic cheerleader in a way. Um, I was if anyone was around when Cole Evans ran for president, I was the person that brought like the giant speaker to the fountain, and I was like dancing and like calling out people and handing them Timbits and dog stickers. Like I was like I was that extroverted like team member that was always out there. Um, but I I also served in my fifth year, I was the campaign manager for, uh, Georgia Yee, who serves on the board of governors and Senate. Um, so yeah, I, I have experiences both manager and non-manager. Um, but with Cole specifically, um, Cole, I met when I was in second year, he lived in Plasvania as a first year. And I originally met him because he was involved in the AMS and he came home uh, late, uh, for dinner one night and, uh, the cafeteria staff didn't want to let him eat in the cafeteria because we were decorating the cafeteria for like, uh, Vanier week, um, or like Vanier Olympics or something. And they were like, Oh, like the, the space is booked. And I allowed him to, to eat at a table that we were using. Cause I felt really bad. And that's how I first met Cole. Um, And since then, like we were friends and, you know, third year came around and I got reached out to, and he was like, I'm deciding to, you know, run for president this year instead of VP admin. I I need more help. Would you like to be on my team? And I said, sure. And I I knew other people on the team and it turned out to be some of the most fun I've ever had at UBC. Uh, It was like two weeks of stress and like, you know, anxiety because you're running in an election, but it was so much fun. And I met like so many great people and, um, you know, there were people that were, um, I guess hesitant, um, to talk to me about the AMS after that, because of course, like, you know, it's like, Oh, like you hold a certain bias. It's like, Oh, I don't like the AMS. Like, how could you help Cole? Like, but you know, like, I think that there's people like that, you know, you're going to run into those people. Um, so it didn't affect, Uh, my enjoyment that much, but, um, I kind of ended up on his team just from meeting him early on at UBC and maintaining that relationship. And I really do believe in a lot of the things that Cole stands for. Uh, it wasn't just a thing to like, you know, boost publicity or whatever you want to call it. Like, I really do believe in Cole and, uh, you know, his platform, I, I know he actually asked me about his sexual violence platform uh, because he knew about my involvement. So I was happy I was able to help him in that capacity. Um, but yeah, I think I think that he's great. And the fact that he decided to do a second term this year, um, you know, that made me really happy. I know that coronavirus hasn't been the most easy with him and his executives, but I think that they're doing the best job that anyone could do. Um, you know, it's affected us in so many ways and I don't think I could do a better job. So, I mean, I'm pretty content. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have any words of advice for students out there looking to run for student politics, whether they should or shouldn't? Um, and, you know, what experiences they can take away from that?
1: Yeah. Um, I think that if you're looking to make really um, important and impactful change and, you know, you're really passionate about, Making your university experience better, then definitely get involved in some sort of student politics, whether it's in residence or at, for the AMS or for your undergraduate society. Um, I know when when Cole ran for president the first time, there was an open seat for um, for vice president academic, and I uh, sincerely thought about running myself. Um, but I would say you know the reason I didn't is because Um, you know, running for those positions and holding those positions is a very large responsibility. And it, it's not just taking time out of your degree and postponing your degree, right? It will, um, you know, it will have those days where it wreaks havoc on your mental health and your stress levels. And, you know, it's a lot of pressure. UBC is a lot of students. And, you know, if you make a decision that upsets, you know, 60,000 people, like, you know, are you able to cope with that? Are you able to face the daily backlash that the AMS already receives. Um, so, you know, there, there are pros and cons to running or not running, but I think at the end of the day, um, it's about what's best for you. So if you feel that you can handle it and you really want to make important changes and make a difference, then absolutely do it. Um, and, you know, if other things are more important to you, or, you know, maybe you want to get involved at a lower level, then, you know, it's great to not run or get involved in another capacity too. It's totally what you're looking to get out of the experience. And
0: yeah, no, it's it's interesting. Like people like to rip on student unions a lot. When I say student union, right? They think like like back in high school, it's like oh, I'm, I'm the student body president, uh, right? And then it's like it almost seems like a like a power trip. At least that's that's how I view it, right? I don't know. I don't, I don't know if you guys had student councils back in high school. Um, but if uh people don't realize like at the university level especially at these larger institutions they have a lot of power and influence um so like the ams like ubc the, the population of ubc at least for the constituents that the ams represents it's like 57,000 people it's a lot of people that's like a, that's like a larger than a small town it's larger actually so i i the city i live i live in port moody the population of Port Moody is something like 30,000, 40,000. The AMS as an institution represents more people than the city council of Port Moody. And it receives more funding too, I think. Um, or actually, I don't know about that. Uh, but it's I kind of like you 57,000 students paying your organization taxes. So the AMS has an operating budget of something like $27 million. That's a lot of money. And and you're, you're putting it into the hands of students. And I'm really, I'm always like, kind of constantly surprised that, you know, um, students just, they, they, they aren't aware of, of it. Like that's where your student fees are going to, um, that's, that's how your money's going to be spent. You correct me if I'm wrong. I think the voter turnout at like in AMS elections is something like, I think the highest we've ever gotten is like 40%. that's like considered good. Um, and then it's usually like lower, like 20, 30. Um, don't get me started on the undergrad, like the AUS, right. I think their voter turnout was, uh, I, I used to be part of the AMS, AUS, I can rip on them. Um, was like ten percent or five percent like it's super there's a lot of voter apathy and i wonder if if i want to know what you guys think about this is that's like reflective of this larger trend of um our democratic institutions kind of being eroded by people just not caring enough or or, or just people not setting aside the time to look into their representatives or looking into the looking in the things that they want they should be voting for um, i want to get i want to get both of your opinions on that
1: Yeah. Um, so I know going back and I'm not going to say their name, but I'm, they're going to know if they listen to this, they're going to be like, Oh, you mentioned me. I had a friend who was very, very vocal against, um, the AMS. Uh, they, you know, were always unhappy with, you know, what they were doing and they didn't believe that they should be a thing. And they didn't understand like the people that were holding the positions in office and I just kind of said, like, I was like, well, like, did you vote in last year's AMS elections? No. Uh, Did you complete your academic experience survey? No. Did you show up to the town hall to voice your concerns? No. So I mean, like there's, there's people that attend the school who, you know, they sit and they complain and, and they don't like the AMS. um, But then they also don't participate to make any changes. So I know with me, um, I was unhappy with a lot of things uh, that were occurring at the university in my second year. And the second, my second year was, I think, the first time I voted in the AMS election. Because in my first year, um, I had no idea what the AMS was until Alan Ehrenholz decided to run as the engineering cairn, which is literally like a cement block on UBC's campus. And he like ran as a joke and, and won because people realized he was actually the only person capable of being president, even though it was originally a joke. Um, so my second year, it was my first time voting. And part of the reason why I agreed to help Cole, too, is because Cole um, told me that there were pieces on his platform that I, you know, was very passionate about and that I would care about. And I found that, you know, if I could help Cole uh, get into office, then this would you know, this, he would make changes that I wanted to see. So I feel like, you know, there's people who, you know, again, they sit there and they talk badly about the AMS, but they don't actually actively do anything to make it better for, for them, for their students, for their friends, um, you know, whatever the case may be. So I think it's like really important that, you know, if you do want change, like you're a part of the change and you need to, to act on, um, you know, creating a better experience for yourself, it, you know, other people aren't just going to sit there and assume this is what you want and do it for you. Like, I think it's very important to get involved, even if you can't, or, you know, do not plan on running and doing it yourself. There's still ways for you to voice what you want, um, changed. And there's still ways for you to participate, uh, as an everyday student at UBC. So I think that's really important to know. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Um, I'll just jump in on that as someone who's, not part of the AMS and honestly um, probably was one of those like apathetic voters for at least first two years I was here. Um, I'd say I vote in maybe like about half of the elections and most of the time it's when one of my friends is running. Um, But I think what the university really should do is educate first years when they first come to UBC and let them know what exactly the AMS is. And I know they do in some ways, but it's not super out there so maybe like when they give out these brochures to first years like right at the start and one of the main most important things should be telling people what the ams does and what they can do for um, us as students and because otherwise i feel like most students just hear about it through their friends or just word of mouth um, no one really will go and search up what the ams is if they don't really know what it's about anyways um, and but on the other hand I feel like the low voter turnout is always going to be a thing to a certain extent, just because um, there are so many students who go to UBC who maybe don't live on campus, don't aren't really involved, and they really just think of it as just going to school and taking their classes and getting their degree and then going out. But um, but if they realize that the AMS is this thing, they actually have power over um you know, voting for the AMS, and then the AMS can help them with their their like experience maybe even like things like classes and How those the little details of how those work, or like exams, the AMS has power to improve some of those things for them. I think that would be really good info for students to have.
0: Yeah, I uh, I think that's something that a lot of student unions, uh, you know, across the country are are also grappling with. Right, right. Um, Just getting number one, like you raised a good point about like getting the university to um, acknowledge them more and, and to promote. Their purpose more, um, but like it seems like it's this kind of general trend of you know trying to grapple for greater legitimacy. Um, a couple of years ago, the student union at uh, the University of Ottawa dissolved. They they got unacknowledged. So like the University of Ottawa ceased. I think it was Ottawa, but maybe I'll I'll just insert a correction later on in the editing if I'm wrong. Um, but like the University of Ottawa just stopped recognizing the student union there. And they were like, you guys are not legitimate because we found evidence that you guys embezzled money, um, student money, which is illegal. I, I think they got charged for it. Um, but it's stuff like that, you know, that just kind of really makes you think like you have to really, really make sure that the foundations of your governance are set up properly, um, you know, to to ensure that there it can't be tampered with, that the university has reason to listen to you, um, and that uh, you're, you know, you're you're set up for success even decades down the line. We're gonna see a continuation of this effort. Um and, and the only way to, the best way to accomplish that is is through just greater, greater collaboration, greater communication. Um yeah, I, I won't I won't talk too much about this because again, yeah, we're we we do not have too much time, but something that the AMS is has Done, I know, uh, is they've worked with other student unions across the province as well. So, like the SFU student union, some of the smaller colleges here, um, even in universities out east, um, they they organize, I think it's the Canadian Federation of Students. So now you're you're able to take the power, I guess the voice of Students that you're representing and merge them with students from around the country, and then what they do is they organize like a federal lobbying trip uh, to, to try and influence policy. Um, like these are these are all big things here that I, I think you know it would be better if if we saw more student participation. Um, yeah. Anyway. Um, did, uh, did any of you guys have anything else to say about that topic before we move on here?
1: Um, I would just, I would really encourage anyone at UBC to start voting in their AMS elections and their undergraduate elections, um, especially coming out of COVID or entering another wave. I don't know what's next, but I think that, you know, whoever is uh, in office is. You know, it's going to be super important what they decide to do um, in terms of recovering the school community and recovering, um, you know, some of the damages that uh, COVID caused. So please, 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 if you are at UBC, um, I encourage you to vote uh, because it will make a really big difference coming out of this uh, pandemic.
0: Yeah. Oh, my God. I could probably talk longer about this. Okay. the last thing I'll (laughs) say, too, is like... uh, (laughs) like it's a learning experience for everybody involved too. Like you're, you're electing students basically kind of fresh out of high school, right? No, no previous governing experience. And you're saying, you're, you're putting them in the position of saying, okay, here now vote and manage a twenty-seven million billion portfolio um, of, and, and, and they have, they have a huge, AMS also has like an endowment fund. They put it into investments. Like, like you, it's, it's all and, and you have to kind of learn from people that come before you, right? And and understandably, there's going to be a lot of criticism, which is why, partially, why I think we don't see many students that want to like go up for election unless they have a substantial backing of support already. Um, but yeah, if you're listening to this and you're looking for ways to get involved. See, look into look into your elections. Look into your student union. See see if you can contribute in any way. It's a it's good professional experience too. You get to learn how to manage money and how to vote on policy. I think uh, those are those are all things that are really beneficial for uh, trying to once you once you graduate and then look for look for jobs and such. Um, cool. All right. I think uh, we'll move on now to. tips you have for our listeners um you know what as a as a student as a current student as, as a former student at UEC uh, at the undergraduate level um, do you have any tips tricks study tips for our people that are listening right now what uh, what do you recommend um how to how do they allocate their time
1: yeah um So I'm, I am a huge advocate, uh, for flashcards when it comes to studying. Um, I feel like just general study tips. Like I love using flashcards. I like using the, um, the Pomodoro technique, which I didn't always use, but now, um, it was actually my brother who is in the middle of his bachelor's degree who got me onto the Pomodoro technique. And I, I wish I had it, uh, going into first and second year it's essentially um, you know, like 25 minutes hardcore studying, and then you get like a five or 10 minute break to do whatever you want. And then you go back 25 minutes, uh, hardcore studying and so on and so on. Um, you know, the human brain is made to only pay attention for so long. And when that attention span starts to dip, you know, you're not as effective. So, um, I think, you know, make sure that you're spacing out your time, make sure that you're having a balance, um, Believe it or not, throughout my entire five years at UBC, I never pulled an all-nighter. You know, the night before an exam, I always got at least seven to eight hours of sleep. Always. Um, It didn't matter how prepared I was feeling. I got it. Um, Sleep is super, super important. Um, Any psychology class you may or may not take, it will talk about how important sleep is for memory retention. So making sure that you are getting enough sleep, you're eating healthy, you're moving around, you're exercising, um, you know, your textbook can double as a weight. I learned in my first year, uh, doing squats with a textbook, you know, that kind of thing. Um, just overall wellness, because your overall wellness plays such a huge, huge factor in your success. Um, you know, there are people that like to argue differently, you know, they say sleep is for the week, but I heavily disagree with that. Um, if you are not well, your grades will not do well. Um, now there are exceptions to that. You know, um, I have many friends that are in engineering and I question every single day how they did what they did during their undergrad, uh, you know, the hours of math and hours of projects. So, um, you know, it is tougher for some students. I get it, but try your best in maintaining your personal and, um, mental wellness. Uh, it's super, super important to doing well. Um, and also do what you love. Um, if you find that you are absolutely hating every second of your educational experience, change something. Um, if you're in calculus and you absolutely hate calculus, don't major in calculus. <laughs> uh, do something that is worthwhile. Uh, you're paying thousands of dollars to go to school. Um, do not waste your money to you know, regret your choice you know years down the road. Um, make sure that you are doing something that you enjoy uh, because that also plays a huge, huge, uh, factor in success, right? You're not going to excel in something that you dislike as well as, or as well as you would in something that you do enjoy doing. Um, so, you know, if, you know, some people I know, you know, parents play a huge, huge role in, you know, picking uh, a major at times. I know my parents, um, made it very clear to me that I was to pick something that had a, uh, career ahead. um, but uh, I promise you there are so many options and there's so many uh, paths worth exploring. So um, electives, you know, take what you can. Um, I took a really interesting elective on like the history of popular music where we literally talked about like Tupac and Biggie for a month and it was so cool. Um, so, you know, expand your horizons and, and, get the most of it um get the most of your experience that's my biggest tip <laughs>
0: Thanks. yeah um yeah you covered a lot there um sleep schedule very important I, le- I learned that the hard way I'm still learning that the hard way yeah how how shannon how's your sleep schedule
2: um I strongly agree with you on that and like all your other points um me too I, I'm the same as you i Well, at least so far, I've never pulled an all-nighter. I've always gone like six, seven, eight hours before an exam. Um, I just feel like what you said, like memory, there's so many different reasons why, but also you just... If if you're saying oh I'm I'm too busy I don't have time for sleep, well you're going to study so much more efficiently on sleep even if you only have like one hour to study versus like five hours if you like take that four hours to sleep that one hour of studying you'll learn so much more than you would in that five hours where you're kind of like half asleep half studying so
0: yeah yeah okay good good on YouTube wow I, I gotta <laughs> step it up I. I yeah. I'll, I'll pull all liners like regularly. I'll, I'll, or like, if I have to finish a paper, I'll be like, okay, I guess this is my life now. And then I might perform, I can, like it's stupid because I see my performance being hit the next day. Like I can't do as well or like retain as much information, but then it's like, yeah, I'm going, I'm always going back to trying to get work done.
1: And Kevin, you would, you would appreciate this living in orchard, but if you live in a residence that, you know, has a very, um, active fire alarm <laughs> where it goes off, you know, multiple times a night, um, you know, take your notes outside with you, you know, mid-sleep, you know, why not? Um, but I, I remember Kevin used to email me at like three thirty AM, 4 AM. And the next morning I'd have to call him and be like, are you okay? Have you been, you know, have you been doing okay? Are you sleeping? <laughs> um, so yeah, make sure that you are getting enough sleep. It's, it's so important. <laughs>
0: The fire alarms were, were crazy. Um, it was just incessant. I've never... It would be like exam season. It'd be like 4 a.m. And then I'd be like, oh, everybody's awake and we have to go to the field. Uh, how was uh, or It was Vanny, I guess. It was, Vanny was lower density. So it wasn't like that bad, I guess. It
2: was right. better. It was better. I think I had maybe like two fire alarms in the middle of the night versus Orchard. You guys sound like you had them every week. So. Uh, yeah,
0: it was pretty much every week. <laughs> cool. All right. Uh, Michaela, if you have one rule or piece of advice um that you want to give for our listeners to live by this could be anything um related to school related to like career hobbies whatever what would it be general life advice
1: as someone who is still trying to figure out life themselves um, i would definitely say relating to my previous point um, take care of your mental health Um, your mental health is so, so important and it fuels everything that you do, um, you know, pay more attention to it and, you know, do in life what is going to benefit your mental health. If putting someone down is necessary in order to keep your mental health well and alive, like disappoint that person. Um, I'm definitely not the best at that but i'm working at that um you know it's okay to say no to things it is okay to do what is best for you um take care of yourself and and things will change things will become better and you will succeed <laughs> everything will be okay in the end but make sure that you are taking care of yourself along the way
0: great thank you for that and with that i think we'll wrap up uh, our final episode of season 2 Season two of Crew X by Two X podcast. Thank you, Michaela, for your time today. It was great uh, chatting with you. And uh, we'll uh, if you're if you're looking for more of this kind of content, you can check us out on Spotify or Apple Podcasts under the same name. Thanks, and have a great day.
1: Thanks, guys.
2: Yeah. Thanks, Michaela.
0: You're listening to the Two X podcast.